The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. The sermon text for this morning is Luke 5, chapter 5, verse 12 through 26. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, these verses are rich, these two glimpses of Jesus. I pray that you would draw us in. I pray that we would believe in Christ and love him and receive his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness. And I pray that whether in our lives, in your sovereignty, we receive healing from our leprosy or from our paralysis or not, we would rejoice 
in the fact that the Son of Man, Jesus, has authority on earth to forgive sins. Gather us in. Enable our worship. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, my aim in this text as I've looked at it is, is that we might value the gift of the forgiveness of sins that's ours in Christ more than any other gift that God could give us. It's in the gift of forgiveness that God gives us himself. He gives us everything. So we'll get into that. So my my aim is that we would value the, the priceless gift. Paul, I love Paul's phrase for the gospel. The unsearchable riches of Christ that are ours in the gospel. In the fact that our sins are forgiven and we've been reconciled to God by the death of Christ, that we would value that more than anything else we could ask of God or or desire from Him. So, to set up the text, let me put us in the New Testament context. What if you lived during the time that these accounts were written? In the first century, Jesus is going about his public ministry, and, and you're alive at his first coming, and, and Jesus is in that house down the street, and you, you go see him. And why do you go see him? Well, you believe, you heard about him, and you believe that maybe he is the son of God, and maybe he can heal me. Maybe he is who he says he is. And you have this opportunity to ask Jesus. <laughs> ask, ask him anything. What would you ask him for? What would you ask him for? You know, what, what's, what's the pressing problem that would be in your minds to ask of Jesus? What would be the, the deepest desire that you would have to say, Jesus... Maybe, maybe you would ask him to restore your own or, or a loved one's marriage or broken relationships. Or maybe you would ask him to heal your own or, your, or a loved one's cancer or infertility or some chronic pain problem. Or maybe you would ask him to heal your own or a loved one's broken emotions and, and, and thoughts of, you know, recurring terrible thoughts or depression or anxiety. Maybe you would ask him to, to deliver yourself or, or a loved one from some powerful demonic force or oppression or possession or addiction or enslavement or bondage to conformity to the world. Or maybe You'd ask him to bless you financially or to give you your next job. Or maybe you'd ask him to cause you and yours to flourish 
that the next generation would flourish and be strong and good-looking and above average. You might know where I got that list. You might ask him, Lord, fix our neighborhood, fix our city, fix our nation, fix our world, heal our world. What would you ask him? I'm going to close with that thought at the end, but now let's, let's look into the text. Our text gives us a close look at what happened on two different days in the early ministry of Jesus, and both Luke puts here, I believe, to show us again Christ's divine authority and power. Jesus is the Son of God, And Luke has been pointing that out over and over again. Jesus has divine authority and power. And he's doing it again here. Let's look at the cleansing of the leper in in verse 12. So on this particular day, a man who has leprosy comes to Jesus. And Luke, the author of the gospel, he's he's a doctor. And he uses this phrase, he's full of leprosy which many take as a technical term, that he's got it really bad, and I don't know, you know, Luke knows the medical diagnosis, but this is bad. He's got leprosy in a severe sort of way. And, and just to clarify, this is not what we would call leprosy in the modern terminology, but it's a, it's a term at the time that referred to various skin disorders uh, believed to be infectious, and so this leper is a public health threat and there's no known cure except for occasional instances in the Old Testament where lepers are cured. For the protection of the community, the Old Testament law stated this. Leviticus 13:45. The leprous person who has the disease who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. And he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. So the Old Testament law ostracizes the leper, separating him from the community, protecting the community from the infection and sentencing the leper to isolation and separation. And as is not surprising, the rabbis added to the law. Here's two accounts. I came across this in a reference I cited. Uh, One rabbi would not eat an egg purchased in a street where there was someone with leprosy. Another rabbi threw stones at lepers in order to keep them away. That tendency of the religious leaders to add to the the law. So this leper, (laughs) this, this leper, sees Jesus, and Matt, it just, it's an obvious demonstration of his faith. He moves 
toward Jesus. He might be crying, uh, unclean, unclean, as he comes. Verse 12, and he fell on his face and he begged Jesus, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. The Gospel of Mark tells us in the parallel account for this event that Jesus was moved with compassion. And our text says in verse 13, Jesus stretched out his hand and touching him, he said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. (laughs) So, I mean, this is amazing. Just the compassion of Jesus to touch the untouchable. To let the the unclean, outcast, banned from the community come in. Jesus touches him and he heals him of his leprosy. And then Jesus instructs him to go show himself to the priests because the priests were kind of the guardians, the judge of whether somebody was, had leprosy or not so that he could be cleared to resume community life. So here again... In keeping with the text we've seen leading up to this point in chapters 3 and 4, Jesus is showing his authoritative power over illness and disease, this time over the much-feared leprosy. And uh, there's this added dimension to this healing. In In this healing... This leper, this ostracized man, not only receives healing of the body, but he also receives the gift of healing with people, community, welcome back into the, into the community of relationships. So then that account closes Jesus tells the leper, don't tell anybody about this. You can show yourself to the priest. But despite that, verse 15 says, but now even more, the report about this, about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. So the word is out. People are coming to Jesus for help. Great Crowds. That's the first snapshot. Now the second one, the healing of the paralytic. We'll spend the rest of the time here. On another day, Jesus is teaching a, a crowd gathered in a house. And this crowd is a little bit unusual in that the assortment of people has changed. In that verse 17 says, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. So as the, the news spreads about Jesus, it's not only filling up the region and the towns around Galilee and Judea, but it's reaching all the way to Jerusalem such that the, these religious leaders, these Jewish religious leaders come. They're, they're coming. Whether it's curiosity or suspicion or both, they're coming to see what Jesus is doing and hear what he says. And you know the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the the group of religious leaders who taught and enforced uh, 
not only strict observance to the Old Testament law, but also strict observance to the rabbinic rules that were added to the law and the traditions. And then these teachers are likely a subset of the Pharisees, lawyers, experts in the law, and teachers of the law as well. So now these Jewish clergy are gathered all around Jesus. (laughs) I could say these powerful Jewish clergymen are gathered around Jesus and, and... The text has made clear that the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. So it feels like the stage is set. Powerful Jewish religious leaders and the power of the Lord on Jesus. What is going to happen? You know, just you can feel it. And you know, if you've read the New Testament... Jesus has a lot to say to the scribes and Pharisees. And it's very confrontive. He talks most harshly to the scribes and Pharisees for their religious hypocrisy. It's coming. Chapter 11, we'll look at it when we get to it, but I just have to give you a taste of the relationship. Jesus says, Luke eleven forty six, Woe to you, lawyers! For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. He just, their hypocrisy just calls out Jesus' words of confrontation and exposure. So there it is. Religious leaders in Jesus, I don't know, this can't be a big house. It's a packed house. In fact, it, it makes me think of, you know, annually we've done these missions at the manses. It started with Pastor John's house during Global Focus. Uh, we put out a call to say, if you're interested in, in devoting your, your life or a season of your life to the global gospel work, come to missions at the manse, manse being the, the name for the parsonage, the home of the pastor. Come Sunday evening and so... Pastor John started it, and his living room would be packed. And then over time, more lead pastor types like me would host it, and the living room would be packed. And we'd move out as much furniture as we could. And, and, and we had 100 people in our living room, and our house is not that big. That's, what I, that's the impression I get here. <laughs> and I look forward to missions in the manse this coming fall during Global Focus. So that's the picture I have so Jesus is teaching and it's packed. People are sitting all over the floor. You know, imagine pillows where they're helpful and things like that and leaning on each other. And verse 18 says, Jesus' Jesus' teaching is interrupted. Behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. They were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. They're, they're approaching the house. Uh, Luke, or excuse me, uh, Mark's gospel tells us it's four men. The, Im- the image I get is, you know, they're, they're one on each corner. They made a makeshift cot out of his bed, and they're carrying him in. They can't get into the house, and so they go up to the roof. Verse 19. They went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is teaching. These guys are busting through the roof. The building materials are falling down. <laughs> Jesus got to look up. 
And then, lo and behold, <laughs> this man is coming down. And he lands gently in front of Jesus. And some might see that as an as a arrogant, proud interruption. And Jesus sees it totally differently. He sees it as an act of their faith. You see that? He's seeing their faith. Verse 20. It's plural. Their faith. Who's he? It's got to be the four. And I believe it truly includes the paralytic. He saw their faith. They went to those great lengths because they believed that Jesus could help them, could help the paralytic, help the friend. Then, <laughs> Jesus, the only one on planet Earth who could say this, Jesus says this, man, your sins are forgiven. Stop right there. This is not what every other situation in the gospel so far looked like. Right? I mean, just the leper. If you can, heal me. Make me clean. Clean. We've seen sickness already in the gospel. The sick, healed. We've seen the demon-possessed. Jesus rebukes the demon. It flees. Here, the, the paralytic comes, and what do you expect him to say? Be healed. But he doesn't. He says, your sins are forgiven you. What's going on here? Jesus has something more important to do first. The paralytic comes for healing. Jesus answers with the forgiveness of his sins. Why? Well, he tells us. Well, look at this. He is demonstrating his divine authority and power on earth to forgive sins. He's responding to the man's deepest need. In the coming of the Messiah, he's come to bring sight to the blind, right? And he does that. And yet, in these breakthroughs of the power of God in Christ Jesus, the, the, the coming kim kingdom is breaking through with, with healing power and, and power over demons and, and power over death. And those are foretastes of the kingdom yet to come. That's not our normal state. But yet with these demonstrations of power comes the full-blown Gospel pardon, pardon, forgiveness of sins. 
reconciliation with God. That's now. That's now. And will be experienced now and forever and ever and ever, which is why Jesus calls that eternal life. So, the religious leaders, they're they're not dumb. They pick up that uh, only God can talk like that. Verse 21. They're saying, apparently in their minds, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? You know, sin, sin, first and foremost, is an offense against God, whether or not it's an offense against other people. And and sin is always an offense against God. And God is wronged when we demean him. God is wrong when we don't love him. God is wrong when we don't honor him for giving us life and breath and everything else. God is wrong when we don't worship him as he ought to be worshipped. God is wrong when we sin. And since God is the wronged one who who is in the place to forgive, God. I mean, if I hit Chuck, I thought about this. If I hit Chuck on the side of the head and his wife said to me, Carol, she's so sweet. Kenny, Chuck forgives you. You'd say, who are you to forgive sins for tithing? It's Chuck's to forgive. So they're right that only God can forgive sins. Isaiah 43, 25. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my namesake for my own sake and remembers your sins no more it's God's job and yet here Jesus as the son of God the Christ the Messiah and he'll use his favorite title for himself the son of man is exercising the prerogative that belongs only to God And thereby, he's showing he has the divine authority and power to forgive sins. It shows his divinity, and it shows us the the surety of his grace. Jesus knew their thoughts. In, in, In John 10, the... The religious leaders put it this way, John 10, 33. They accuse him of blasphemy because because you being a man make yourself God. So they read it right. Jesus is being God, acting as God. They call it blasphemy because blasphemy is demeaning God. Jesus perceives what's going on in their heads and their hearts. And he says to them, I, I love Jesus' interactions with his accusers. I mean, they're, they, I really love this one. <laughs> Verse 23. 
So Jesus says to them, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. So the question's not which is easier to do, but which is easier to say. So think about it. If, if, if I were to invite one of you up here and uh, I would say, um, you're a paralytic. Rise and walk. Now, <laughs> there's, it's pretty easy to verify what's going on there because the person will either get up and walk or they won't. That's a hard thing to say because the reality of what I said is exposed right away. But if somebody came up to, to me up on this side and, and I said, your sins are forgiven, how do you prove it? It's a pretty easy thing to say. I think that's what Jesus is getting at. The easy thing to say in one sense, is your sins are forgiven. Now, doing that, accomplishing that, will cost him his life. It's not easy at all. Easy to say. The more difficult thing to say is get up and walk. And so Jesus says, arise, pick up your bed. (laughs) It's crystal clear. Jesus is showing his divine authority to forgive sins. Verse 24. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he arose. He arose before them and picked up what what he'd been lying on and went home glorifying God. So Jesus had said, the harder thing to say, rise and walk. And the man went home. I I just love it. I love it. I love it. You see the point. Jesus is establishing his divine power and authority to forgive sins. You... That is a spiritual reality. You can't see it. You can't taste it. You can't, ver- you can't verify it. He's showing his divine authority to actually do that by saying, rise and walk. So Jesus makes it clear. That's why he did it the way he did it. I want to, the thought in my head is, uh, I'm going to send a newsletter out this week and I'm either going to talk about Jesus' title, his preferred title for himself is Son of Man or I could save that to later in Luke. The other thing I want to talk about is how forgiveness of sins flows out of us horizontally. I'll do one or the other. I'll stay tuned. Both will be coming up in Luke one, one way or another. So the reaction in the house is amazement. Verse 25. 
26, and amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. (laughs) So now, the question we began with, you know, if Jesus were right here in your presence, first century, you you walked up to him, what would you ask him for? What would you ask him for? What's the pressing problem, the burden, the desire? What would you bring to him? You know, would you ask him for physical or emotional healing or some kind of freedom from some kind of bondage or to make your life or family or city or country or world better? Or how would you feel if, if, you, if you walked up to Jesus and said, Jesus, I have stage four cancer. If you will, heal me. You know what he says to every believer who prays that? Your sins are forgiven. (laughs) There's a There's a wisdom and providence, a goodness and plan to when God breaks through with these miraculous healings that are foretastes of the coming kingdom. He does it sometimes and he doesn't always do it. But what he always does for all who come to him in Christ is say, your sins are forgiven. Take it to the bank. In fact, if you're wondering whether I have authority to do that, look at the paralytic. Look at the leper. Look at Peter's mom. Look at the demons who are scattering all these other demonstrations of his power and authority in Luke. One way I thought about how these two accounts from these two different days in Jesus' earthly ministry relate to one another. In the first, Jesus heals the leper, outcast, cut off, ostracized from the community, isolated, and Jesus heals his body, and the man is restored to enjoy close interpersonal relationships with family, friends, the community, from there on out. And then in the healing of the paralytic, it's, it's almost like there's a pointer in the, in the first account of the leper. Because in the healing of, of the paralytic, Jesus not only heals the paralytic of his illness, his, his inability to walk, but in the granting of forgiveness. (laughs) The one who is isolated, estranged, enemies with God, is brought near to God by the gift of forgiveness and reconciliation that's ours by the death of Christ for us. (laughs) I'm, I'm left with the enoughness of Jesus, the enoughness of God, whether he 
heals my paralysis now? Or if he waits to fully heal my paralysis until the second coming to the age to come? I'm left with the enoughness of Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. You have me. You've been reconciled with God through me. And in me, you have all the unsearchable riches of God himself. Now and forever. Lord, make that reality of our forgiveness and reconciliation real, ultimate, treasured more than any of the other things that we could ask or think. Because in him, you know, we get it all. We get it all. Father in heaven, Thanks so much for these accounts, your word. And oh, savoring your, your grace to us in Christ, your forgiveness, our reconciliation, our justification, all the promises that are ours, just fuels us with worship and praise and love and trust to you. And oh, the effects of that reality in our lives. I pray for the effects. We haven't talked about the effects, but oh, I pray that the effects would be real in us, that we would be a people who love you much because we've been forgiven much, and that we would be a people who forgive others as you have forgiven us, that we would be a humble people humble before you and rich in your forgiveness and grace. So thanks for your word. Enable us to live day by day confident of this. The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And in Christ, by faith in him, our sins have been forgiven once and for all. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.